Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Hey, good morning. Great to see everybody. Hey, if I have not met you yet, uh, my name is Samuel, and my wife Beck and I met. It's just a privilege of our life to get to serve you guys here at Life West. And let me just say, welcome to church. Uh, glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, man, ab- absolutely. If I haven't met you, stick around afterwards. Introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. And we're, we're in a series right now where we're going through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And as, as we're going through there, Ephesians is a really... Gr- it's a little bit different than many of the other books of the Bible. Now, the entire Bible, of course, was authored by God, but written by man as God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired man to write. Now, he used some 40-ish authors over a 1,500-year span of time to write what we consider to be our Bible. Uh, it's the New and the Old Testament. The New Testament is the New Covenant. When Jesus came, he changed everything. When he came, he changed it. When he died, he sealed it. It was done because he rose from the dead. So the New Testament's the New Covenant. And Ephesians was a book written by a man named Paul, of course, authored by God. But Paul wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a group in Ephesus, some new Christians. And he's explaining, he's really making known what it means to be a Christian. So we've been kind of just going through this verse by verse, just looking at this and saying, okay, what is this that this is talking about what can we learn on how we are meant to live. So we're going to start Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it says this. This is kind of where we ended last week. It said, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. We talked about the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. The responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. We said, look, Christianity is not a religion. It's not a box that you check. It is a life that you assume. God is not a safety net. He's a Savior, Lord, and King. And that we have, we have things to do. James 1.22 says this, says, but don't just merely listen to God's word. The following Christ is not just coming, hearing something. We must do what it says, is what it says in James. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. That our life is meant to change. So we're going to pick up in verse 13, and it says, Now this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be immature like children. Okay, who's got got kids in here? Raise your hand. Okay, who's seen a kid before? Raise your hand. Okay, who's ever babysat a child before? Raise your hand. All right. Kids are fun. Like, I, I love kids. Um, we, we have five of them, not because I love kids, but because I love their mom, and they just kind of keep showing up. But um, I, I love kids, you know. They are an r- absolute riot. But, but they're incredible. One of the things about kids, especially little kids, is they are just, they're so gullible. Okay, they believe everything. Like, like they, they, just, they just believe things that they shouldn't. You're like, the moon is cheese. And they're like, okay. And you're like, mm, they, they, they're a little bit gullible. And here's what he says. He says, we should no longer be immature like children. Children will fall for things that adults won't. Now, some adults, 
Don't, don't raise your hand if you know them or are one. They just, they, just, they just never leave that gullible. You know what I mean? They're just gonna, they're gonna stay in there, but they just innocently believe a little bit too much, okay? Um, but my brother, when he was little, um, loved raisins. And uh, we, we lived in Mexico. And, and one day, my mom comes out. And I know this because anytime, this is my older brother, Josh. So anytime, he would just kind of like, when we, when we were growing up and he'd be mean to me and, and stuff, and I'd be like, well, I'll finish. Actually, I have to wait. I'll finish that sentence in a minute. So my brother Josh is in the back um, of our house. We lived in Mexico at the time, and there's this little walled-in backyard. And again, I already told you my brother loves raisins. And he's in the backyard, and my parents had goats. Okay, so do we have a picture that, you can, that we can show here? Just a second. Okay, so that is a picture of goat poop. Okay, now the next picture, those are raisins. Okay, can we go back to the goat poop? Just go up one. Okay, goat poop, next one. Raisins. So my mom comes outside and my brother is picking something up off the ground and eating it. And my mom's like, he's eating goat poop. So she sees him on the other side of the yard and goes, Josh, put that down, stop. And Josh, who loves raisins, as she begins to come, doesn't put it down. Instead, he's like, ooh. And so he just, as fast as he can, is shoving goat poop in his mouth. And he, here she comes, here she comes. And, and I just laugh. So anytime that he would just be like, well, I'd be like, yeah, well, at least I didn't eat poop. Like, here we go, you know, Josh? Like, at least I didn't eat poop. And he's like, well, you did that. I'm like, yeah, at least I didn't eat poop. Um, little kids, little kids, here's what it has to say. It says, don't be immature about little, um, like children is basically what it's saying. He says, and then he keeps on saying, keeps on going, and this is verse 14. He says, we won't be tossed around, blown about by every wind of new teaching, and we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. We are not to be easily influenced. He says, look, we're supposed to grow up. The body of Christ, we talked about this last week, the body of Christ is the church. The church is a gathering of people. It's not a building, okay? But God's goal for us is that we would grow up, that we would no longer be, which means there's a time that we all are, immature like children spiritually, and that we won't be tossed just every time we hear anything, that anybody says anything, that we know the difference. Now, years ago, I had a friend who worked at a bank, different, different friend than Jason, that worked at a bank, and, and they were uh, get, getting trained. And I was like, okay, well, what, is, what does bank training look like? We were talking, and they're like, well, right now we're learning how to spot counterfeits. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Not that I would ever counterfeit something, but what do you look for, like, like when you're trying to, like, how, how do you do that? Like, how do they teach you to spot counterfeits? And they're like, well, actually, um, they've got us just counting money. And I'm like, well, that's boring. <laughs> like, like, come on. They don't, they don't say, like, hey, there's something on the bills that, you know, we bankers know that nobody else is supposed to know or anything like that. He's like, no, what they do is they, they just get us counting money. And they're like, Here, here's the best way to train somebody to spot a counterfeit is to handle so much of the real thing 
that when a counterfeit comes through, you will just be like, wait a second, something's off. Something's not right. And I believe that God's desire for us is very similar to that. That you and I would handle so much that we would be in God's word, that we would be in it on a regular basis, that we have in our daily time that we're getting fed and built up, that when all of a sudden somebody introduces something that's not true, that it just doesn't feel right. They were like, wait a second. I don't, I don't know about that. And that then we would go to check it. Because there's tools to check for counterfeits. There's different ways that you can check it. There's little markers. You know, you, you get it. You get the little marker. You put it on there. But it starts with, well, something just doesn't feel quite right. And God's desire for you and I is that we'd spend so much time in the real thing, in God's word, in God's presence, that when somebody brings in a doctrine, that we would just be like, wait a second, hold on, that doesn't feel right. And then we would take it and we would go to God's word. Because there are some really good sounding lies out there. There's some really good sounding lies. One of those, like, one of those really good ones is this, the idea that if I love someone, that means if I love them, I have to approve of everything they do because I love them. Well, you love them. Well, well yeah, but they're still right and wrong. Like, like just plain and simple. Well you, well, you can't judge because Jesus didn't. And they might even say things because what, what did it say? It said they, they would trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And I, I'm, you ever heard the saying like they know just enough to be dangerous? You know, there's some people, they, they know some scriptures, but they know just enough to be dangerous. And what they do is they take something out of context. And so they'll take, they'll take something like John 8, and they'll say, you know, if you love them, you just have to love everything about them because, you know, you can't judge. And, you know, Jesus didn't condemn the woman who was caught in adultery, so neither, you, you, you can't condemn anybody. Well, John 8.10 says this. It says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, because they had brought a woman to Jesus and said, hey, look, we caught her in adultery. We don't know why the guy wasn't there because they caught him in the, anyways. But, but anyway, they brought her to Jesus. This is where we pick up the story. And they're like, hey, the law says stoner. What do you say? We don't know exactly what happened. But what the Bible does tell us happened is that Jesus kind of thought. In fact, then he began, he knelt, he knelt down and he wrote some stuff in the ground. We don't know what. But slowly, the crowd that had brought this woman before Jesus peeled away one by one. And the interesting part that the scripture tells us is this, is that they left from oldest to youngest. In my opinion, this is my opinion part, I think they left from wisest to foolishest. That part's not in the scripture. And then it says this. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? Because Jesus stood up and said this. He who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And the woman answered, no, Lord. She said, they're not here. And then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But the verse goes on and then he said this. Go and sin no more. He didn't condemn her. He called her out of it. 
He didn't just say, well, great, then go have fun. He's still out there somewhere. He said, go and sin no more. There's some good sounding lies. Well, he said, he who's, you know, he who has no sin cast the first stone. We've all done something wrong, so none of us can say anything. And, and then isn't there that, that verse in the Bible where God says, and I know it's there, he says, don't judge. And the answer is, yeah, it's there, but let's read it. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, don't judge others and you will not be judged. Don't condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Given you will receive. Your gift will return to you, full, pressed down, shaken together with room to, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap with the amount that you give. It will be determined the amount that you get back. Then Jesus gave the following instructions. Okay, because there's, there's a whole, there's, there's something called context. It's kind of like if you print off directions, you're like, I need to go from here to, and you name the spot, doesn't matter what it is, Florida, or it could just be to Ace Hardware Store. It's going to give you turn-by-turn -turn directions. But if I take that list of turn-by-turn -turn directions that's correct, and I just pluck out one of the directions, and it says, say that direction says, turn east on Pierce Street, and then I put that on my refrigerator, and I'm like, that is how you get to Ace Hardware. <laughs> turn east on Pierce Street. I'd be... Correctly incorrect. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot more to it than that. Like, that will do it, but, but you've got to add the, the, where's the before and the after, and that only applies if that's where you are. And if you're, if you're west of, then you might never, and if you're south of, then that, that works. But if you're north of, there, there's context that needs to be brought into the picture. So yes, it says, do not judge. And Jesus gave this. He says, can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like a teacher. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye, when you cannot see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First. Now, it doesn't stop at hypocrite. He calls you a hypocrite. He's like, look, don't be a hypocrite. But then he says this, first. Get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. There is right and wrong. There is truth. He's like, look, the reason why you can't, he's like, be, be so careful when you judge because look at the way that you're living. He's like, there's right and there's wrong. But you won't be able to help anybody else when you're the hypocrite. Even more, you have more of a problem than they do, but you haven't been found out yet, so you're just pointing fingers at them. He's like, if you really want to help them, deal with it yourself, and then you will be able to. There's some people in this room. You've been through some stuff, but now you're on the other side. And truth is, when you're on the other side, now you have wisdom to speak into that situation that nobody else has if I need help with my kids, you want to know what I want to find? I want to find somebody that's already gone through it that's older. Like their kids are already in college, their kids are married, their kids are following Christ. Okay, it worked for you, now I'm going to go to you. What I'm not going to do is go find the couple that just got married, has zero kids, but know exactly how to raise everybody else's. 
Like we laugh at that. We're like, ha ha, yeah, we all have a plan. And then you have kids and then you don't have that plan anymore. It's like it changes. And so what he's talking about here when he says hypocrite is like, look, remove it from your eye and then you will see clearly to help someone else. 1 Corinthians 6.3, do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? There's some lies that sound really good, but we need to know what God's word has to say. We need to know what God's word has to say. We're to speak the truth in love. Lies like, well, follow your heart. If you're following your heart, you know, how, how could you go wrong? Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Like, well, there, there's, that's why. <laughs> oh, but it makes me happy. And man, I think this one creeps in. The number of times. I mean, I mean think about it real quick. Like, the biggest decision that you will ever make outside of your salvation decision, in my opinion, is who you will marry. That is the single biggest decision with the largest ramification circle possible of what that will be. Like, like this is life-defining decision, I would say. The biggest. Money, houses, they can disappear, burn, break, be stolen, whatever. You can have to move. You can rebuild. You can do that. I would say the, lar- the biggest decision any of us make outside of our salvation decision is if and then who you would choose to marry. And I have, I've talked with fathers. One in, one in particular where, where I was performing a wedding and the couple it was a very interesting wedding, okay? Let's just, let's just start off with that. It was an interesting wedding. Uh, the only wedding I've ever done in a roller rink. Um, so, so that just is kind of like, it was, a, it was very interesting. Um, I, I knew the couple, and I was talking with the dad beforehand, uh, the father of the bride, and I just ran into him, and, and he, just, he, didn't, he didn't look like, wow, I get to give my daughter away today. He just didn't have that look. And you're like, is there one? Yes, there is. He didn't have it, okay? And when you know he doesn't have it, you're like, there is one. So I was just talking. I said, How? I said how's, how's it going? Is everything okay? And he's like, I do not like him. And I'm like, what are we doing here? I go, what are we doing here? Um, she was... Uh, Younger, not, not, not super young. I mean, you can get married. I think my sister got married really quite a, quite a bit younger than that, but I think she was, she was in her early, early 20s, something around there. She's old enough to make her own decisions. But she, if, if you're a woman and you have a God-fearing, Christ-centered family and mom and dad, then, then man, that should be your number one sounding board. You want to know somebody who's given everything for you? It, it, it should be. And if it was your parents and, and they're worshiping God and they don't like this guy, can I just give you some advice? Run! <laughs> Anyways, okay, so back to this. So, so I'm sitting there talking with him and I'm like, what are we doing here? Because again, I would call this the biggest decision. And he goes, I don't like him, but if he makes her happy, and I go, well, why don't you like him? And he lists some reasons, and I'm like, those are really good reasons to put this on pause at bare minimum. And he's like, 
but if he makes her happy. Rewind five years before that. I remember talking, I'm in high school and talking with one of my friends, one of my friend's dads. And he said this, he said, honestly, he said, I don't really care who my daughters bring home. I will say yes, as long as they make her happy. And I was like, that's your Littman's test? Like, you're happy? Like, I hunt animals, okay? Um, they're delicious. If I've offended you, yeah, there's more coming, so just stick around, okay? Um, and, and the time to do it, okay? Like, deer season is coming up. I'm so excited. I'm so, so excited. Um, but Deer season starts in October, and, uh, and it really kind of runs through the end of the year, but the, the height of the rut is in November, and the rut is when the deer, it's the height of the mating season, and the reason why, that's the, I love that when it comes to hunting, and the only reason why I really know anything about that is because of how stupid the bucks get at that time of year. Okay, it's also why 87% of car accidents happen between October and December is because these deer are just stupid because they've got one thing on their mind and that's it. Some of these bucks, they won't eat, they won't sleep, they just chase those. That's all they do. And I just hope one of those big ones chases them right by my stand when I'm in it. Like it's just like, come on. Why do I say all of that? Because we make some of the worst decisions. And you're like, I'm totally not like animals. Oh, no. We make some of the worst decisions when we're in love. But understand this. The Bible says that love covers over an offense. The Bible says love covers over a multitude of sins. Like, we just get Twitter-pated for the better sense of, like, any word I can think of where it's like, they're just the greatest. They're just amazing. Oh, but, you know, do they have a job? No, but they're going to get one someday. It's just going to be great. That's a big red flag. Anyways, this isn't supposed to be about marriage. we got to get back to this. So, again, I can think of probably four or five instances where I am about to marry somebody, and I get a father or a father-in-law who's like, well, if it makes them happy. And that is what they're using as the basis for making the most important decision outside of salvation is they're chasing after, well, what makes somebody happy? There's things that sound good, but if the human heart is deceitful above all else, this is why we say purpose should always jump, trump pleasure. That we, and when we know God, our creator, then we know our purpose and we find pleasure in fulfilling our purpose. And it is just, we, we, we reverse that. There's things that look and sound really good until we hold it up to scripture, but that's what we're meant to do. Is we're meant to be able to look and be like, wait a second, this is what God's word has to say about this, and in this that we grow. Ephesians 4.15. See, instead of just being easily blown around by everyone of doctrine, that we would speak the truth in love. This is why I personally do not go out standing holding signs that say, turn or burn, you know, you're going to hell. Let me tell you how. 
Because the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And unless God specifically spoke to me like, hey, this is what you need to go tell somebody. This is how you need to do it. I'm not going to do that. Because I'm going to speak the truth in love. That's how I'm going to do it. It says, speak the truth in love. And then this will be the result. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We're meant to grow. You are meant to grow spiritually. You're meant to start one place but not end there. So what I want to do is I want to give you, in my next four minutes, four ways to grow spiritually. That you and I are meant to grow. Number one is this. It's the Word of God. 1 Peter 2.2 says this. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Understand this, the word of God, you will grow spiritually as you listen, as you read the word of God. Now, let me tell you what's not going to probably happen. If you tomorrow decide, well, today I'm going to start reading God's word. This is what I'm going to begin to do. And you start reading God's word. You say, I'm going to set aside a, a quiet time. So maybe you're, you're reading God's word. You read the proverb of the day. You do thing in the morning and maybe you got a, a commute. So you listen to, you got your version Bible app. You open it up and you, you listen to some Bible while you're in there. Let me tell you what's pro probably not going to happen. Is it the next day you're like, wow, I feel completely different. that way. It's like going to the gym once and then stepping on the scale or looking at the mirror and being like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> well, if you do it once, that really small change that it made on the inside of you, you probably can't see it. But if you will go the next day, the next day, and the next day, there's this compounding effect that happens where you build on the previous day's gains. And so if you will say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to apply myself to God's word. You will grow simply by the sincere milk of the word of God. God will begin to speak to you in different ways as you read the word of God. The next way that we grow, number two, this is speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies, that word edify literally means builds up himself. Speaking in tongues, maybe, maybe you are new to that. Um, the Bible says that we, speaking in tongues, is simply when the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, when we allow it, the, Him, the Holy Spirit, to speak through us. The Bible says that it's, it's tongues, it's a language that we do not understand, that our mind is not edified, but our spirit is. If you're like, hey, man, I'm totally new to that, but I, if that's a way that I could grow, I'd love to know about, more about that. Our prayer team would love to talk with you more about it. Uh, the, the room down the hall as you're headed back out of here, the prayer team is there. They've got some books on that that if you'd like one that can kind of help you, it's a deep subject to get into in two and a half minutes. It's just, just it, it is. But if you're like, no, I've asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I don't really do that on a regular basis, then I let me just tell you, you are leaving on the bench your greatest player. Some amazing power. The Bible says you are built up spiritually when we spend time in God's word. We're built up spiritually when we spend time praying in our prayer language. The next one is this. 
The third way is when we see God's faithfulness. When we see God's faithfulness. 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. Many of us are familiar with it. David goes out and he shows up and he hears this giant challenging the army of Israel. And David's like, will nobody fight him? I will. And word gets around to the king, hey, there's somebody here who's willing to fight the giant because he's been, he's been coming out. He didn't just come out once, he just comes out day after day after day after day. And the crazy thing is, is basically what they were doing is this. They're like, hey, our two countries, we don't all need to fight. Just send out a champion and we'll settle the whole thing instead of everybody fighting. We'll just have our champions fight. And whoever of those two win, that'll settle the entire conflict. That would be crazy if we did that today. But that's what they did. And nobody was willing to go and fight Goliath. But David gets brought before King Saul. And King Saul says, whoa, you're too young. You cannot go out. You cannot fight. And it's 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep, his goats, he said. And when a lion or bear came to steal the lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I caught it by the jaw and I club it to death. This guy's awesome. <laughs> he says, I've done this to both the lion and the bear and I'll do it again to this, to this pagan Philistine. And in verse 37, he says this, because sometimes we can read that and you can just, maybe, maybe you picture in your mind this amazing, this super buff guy that's just like got muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles just like me. Don't laugh too hard. Okay, verse 37. But this is the reason why he says I could do that. The Lord who rescued me from the claw of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David reflected on God's faithfulness in the past and said, if he did it then, he'll do it again. He had taken a small step. He didn't just show up one day and be like, I can kill a giant. No, he'd been taking steps. He'd seen God's faithfulness and he's like, he was faithful then, he'll be faithful again. You want to grow spiritually? Reflect. Don't forget the things that God has done in your life, the way that he has provided, the way that he has protected you. It says we overcome by the blood of the lamb, that's what Jesus did, and the word of our testimony. I pray that you have a story that you remember of God's faithfulness in your life. And the last one I want to give you is this. The next way that we grow, as we read verse 16, it says, he makes the whole body fit together. This is Ephesians 4 fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God's design, his plan for you is that you would and that we would as the body of Christ help each other grow. One of the ways that we, we see that happening in and through the local church is small groups. You know, they're starting up here in a couple of weeks. If you want to host one, it's really easy. All you've got to do is you head to the website, lifewest.church. You hit get involved, small groups. And if you want to host one, 
You hit the little host button, and it's like, hey, give us your name, your number, kind of your ideas, and we'll help you from there. But here's what small groups are. Well, let me first off and say this. Here's what they're not. They're not magical. (laughs) But what they are is just people getting together and inviting God into the situation. Our small groups are all kinds of stuff. there's, There's some small groups that we've got about parenting. There's small groups about coffee. There's small groups where they shoot bows. There's small groups. You could do one where you read a book. There's a small group where you could study. There's small groups that want to pray. There's small groups that just hang out and play games. And there's small groups that do board games. There's, there's all kinds of stuff. And they're not magical. But here's the thing. Extraordinary comes from Ordinary. Often what we want is we want the extraordinary moments, but they come after we just do the ordinary things. You've probably heard the saying, today I will choose to do what others won't so that tomorrow I can do what others can't. It's those small habits and small groups are just an opportunity to get together There's nothing extraordinary except we're together and we say, God, we want to invite you into what we're doing. And then maybe God does something amazing in it. Or maybe you show up at a group and you're like, this isn't for me. And so you go try another one. And that's okay too. But God's desire is that you would be growing spiritually. That you'd grow as you spend time in God's word. That you would grow as we we get together, both in and out of church. That we would challenge each other that we would find some people that we can talk to. Maybe find, get in a group where some people are a little further ahead. We're just going into school and they're just coming out and we're about to have a family and they've already got one and we're about to be empty nests and they're a little bit further and, and, they've got, and we find, we say, give me some advice, what is it? And we just kind of get together and those conversations don't just happen. But when we get to know people, all of a sudden we're like, you know what? I would like to know what you have to say. Because nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. And you get to know them a little like, you know what? I've got a question for you. But my prayer is that you would grow. That no matter where you are, is that you'd be growing. That you'd spend time in God's word. I was to seek and you will find. That you'd put in some disciplines in your life. Some daily disciplines. Growing up, my dad would say this all the time. He says, show me your daily routine and I'll show you your future. Add some things to your daily routine that cause you to grow spiritually. Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So let me just close with Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.